Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years. Here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick First time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step. To five three three four two New York, call the twenty four seven Hope Line at one eight seven seven eight Hope and Y or text Hope and Y four six seven three six nine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Black Opinions Matter. We're joined by uh, a special guest, a familiar guest, uh, but also we have our residential uh Statesman uh, Jerv, uh, Rob Lopez is here, uh, but we have our special guest uh, Naima Cochran. Hi. Hey Naima, always always great to have you on the show. Uh, we will not be joined by uh, Waz. He is on DMP Waz Week, and Amin is away DMP All Star Weekend. So uh, they will be back next week. Uh, we have some exciting exciting conversations to have today. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, we're going to, you know, talk about the record industry and then we're going to talk about curb as usual. And then we'll close out with some, you know, some, some banter. So to get started, Naima, I know you, um, seen the post about Mace versus Puffy. Well, Mace's Instagram post about, you know, not paying a black man about keeping somebody basically in shackles, the audio yep. shackles. Could you elaborate on this post that was posted on Instagram by Mason Betha? Sure. So I think we have to back up a little because during Grammy weekend, which was a couple of weekends ago and which was a weekend before Mason's post, um, Puff was being honored. He was being given the Icon Award um, at Clive Davis's pre-Grammy party, which is co-sponsored with the Grammys. And he gave a speech about wanting to... Basically, the short version was 
you know, the gram basically the Grammy is not giving artists proper honor and respect and him wanting to be an advocate for the artists and how, um, in the past he really only cared about making hit records, but now he was, you know, more concerned about moving the culture forward. And he was speaking on behalf of the artists and the Grammy needed to get it right, et cetera. Um, allegedly, apparently at some point between that event and Mace's post the next Friday, Mace went to Puff to offer to buy back his publishing, which Puff has owned since Mace signed with him in 1996 for $2 million. Mace says that, um, Mace says that Puff bought his publishing from him for $20,000. So just in brief, Harlem World sold 5 million albums. There's room, you know, Mace was also on um, No Way Out, which sold 7 million albums. There's also rumors that Mace wrote a bunch of Puff stuff from No Way Out. So, like, obviously, his publishing be worth more than $20,000, even if it's not worth $2 million, but maybe it is. Um, and I guess Puff declined. So, um, sorry. So, Mace basically writes this whole post, like, I heard what you said. Um, and I, you know, am asking you to basically be the change you want to see. Like, let's start with you. If you're saying that you, you know, want to represent artists and start with yourself. So he brings up the fact that he, you know, offered to buy this publishing back from Puff and Puff declined. Um, and then he goes through everything that he's been through with Puff in his career and his deal. I mean, the, the post was a very long, um, you know, I faced, you know, I faced death for you and was still riding with you and, you know, all your artists are gone, you know, none of your artists are happy. Um, you've been starving your artists, you know, just basically throwing mad allegations saying that Puff hasn't taken care of his artists over bad boys history. And that before, cause Meek had posted something about people of other races, basically enslaving black artists. And Mason saying, basically, this isn't black, this isn't black excellence. Like we need to be taking care of each other. Um, so this let off a firestorm because a few days prior, Khalees had kind of sounded off about Pharrell, and I'll get to that in a minute. But it's no secret, Puff has a reputation of bad deals with his artists, right? Like, most artists have left Bad Boy unhappy or tragically. Um, right now, you know, Bad Boy doesn't really have a roster, so to speak of. It doesn't even really function as a label. Um, it's an imprint. But it doesn't really have a label staff. There's like Combs Enterprises, but there's not really a bad boy entertainment, so to speak. Um, and Puff really kind of left himself wide open for this criticism with that speech. I mean, I know he's rebranded and he's older and maybe he's wiser, but, you know, there's always been questions about like how he handled Biggs publishing and Mace has been vocal about Puff before when Mace first came back to rap in 2009. He ran up on Puff in a radio interview because Puff was blocking him from working or performing with other artists. I got my Diddy shades on. <laughs> <laughs> he is happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, you know, we, we give you an exclusive. We give you an exclusive. Right. Because a lot of times when I be doing interviews outside of me, everybody be saying, like, like, so what's going on? And I be like, you know, Mason's out here doing his thing. He's, he's cooking up right now. And just to be clear, he has the freedom to go do whatever, you know, he wants to do, you know what I'm saying? What's that mean, Puff? Yeah, I mean, he could just, he could, you know, a lot of times he can work. He can work. You can work? People have felt like, you know, like, 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 like our situation, I may have stopped him or whatever. He could do whatever he want to do. I'm trying to make sure it's, wow. everybody's crystal clear. Kicked everybody's crystal clear. If you, if you, if you, you, want, those, you want those maze verses, you can go get your, you go get your, Get, get, get your, your hustle on right now. You know, you know, he got a slick tongue though. You know, he's a, he's a mean negotiator. So you better, you better, come, you better come with that guap though. Took me ten years to get this paperwork right here. I, I had to put this in in UPS. I don't want to spill on it. I don't even know what I'm gonna put out now. Oh my goodness. Alright, we good. Y'all ready? Good. We good. What just happened here though? Just we tell good. us what just happened. This is me, so I got my official papers right here from Puff Daddy. It was love. So I guess we don't have no problems at all. All love, man. I don't even know how to take that. I ain't used to Puff doing good stuff, you know? Then Puff tried to sign with 50 Cent and G Unit. Puff blocked that. He wanted 50 to pay him like a ridiculous amount of money to buy Mace out of his contract. Mace didn't get out of his contract with Bad Boy until 2012. 
Double Up came out in what, like 2000 or something like that, you know, like that, that had been Mace's last album. So, um, he didn't get out his contract with Bad Boy until 2012. And the Locks also had done the whole Free the Locks campaign. I want to say that was in 2005, um, where they threatened to drop a refrigerator on Puff if, they didn't, if he didn't let them out of their contract and let them sign with Rough Riders. And you had a really great story that involves you with the Locks. Was that the one they was going to throw the TV? Uh, a refrigerator. The, the refrigerator on Puff? They were going to throw a refrigerator on Puff. Uh-huh. The crazy thing is, yes, this is a true story. The crazy thing is that me and Puff were not in good, uh, really in, good, in a good place at that time, right? So I think he took extra offense to the whole moment because, right. number one, <laughs> they, the locks was like, free the locks. They wanted to get out of their uh-huh. contract. So they were on there, free the locks. And I was like, sure, come up to the show. <laughs> we were all learning the game still. Yeah. You know, hip-hop hadn't evolved to where mm-hmm. it is now. So even Puff, in his defense, he was still, he probably got checked in that moment and I, I bet you that it affected him in terms of how he would do business with people moving forward because, you know, they were young. They were they, it, it was this family, and then right. they felt like, yo, but we're you gonna have our publishing forever? Like right. you're gonna this is not right. What's happening? But then Back. also Puff's argument was like, you should read your contracts. You're, you should be businessmen. You're in a business now. So that we we had all that conversation. I mean, this is the friendly version. It was not friendly. It was not oh, friendly. No. In the moment, the locks was. On fire. Since then, I think that Q from 112 has also chimed in on Mace's behalf. So, you know, the bad boy history is a little sketch. And then, you know, there's also like the artists that have gone to jail, like Sean and Loon and G Dep. And not saying that's Puff's fault, but people also like to people also record. like to look at that. I was that. gonna say yeah. the roster from that track record is mostly people either went religious, they they went to jail, or they died. And I think the only ones that don't count is the locks that were able to still eat outside of Bad Boy. Well, in faith. That's because they, they. Well, in faith, they, yeah, the, okay. The yeah, locks turned the whip, the whip his ass. <laughs> and that's how they got out their shit. Puff ain't want that smoke. So, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, for this guy to be able to walk around Teflon and, you know, it's not being handled like those. Uh, those those uh, Motown movies where they got guys hanging out of the windows and right, you know, and doing I mean, things it, of that nature. It may eventually though, right? Like Puff is still very active; he's still very much in the business. Mm-hmm. There's not that so much people are necessarily going to say about him right now. Who I mean, but also people have spoken out against him. I just think that now it resounds a little louder because we're in an age where you know, 20 years ago, people weren't talking about masks. You know, people weren't talking about the masters and late, like regular consumers didn't know that much about publishing. And I think that when rappers were signing deals, you know, these kids are like, they're like 19, 18, right? They're not thinking, what do I, what am I going to be making off my career in 20 years? Like, what's the, what's the contract that I need to sign now where I may not get as much money up front, but I'm going to be set you know, when I'm 40 something, nobody was thinking about that in 1998. They might be thinking about it now. They weren't thinking about it then. It was a different game. So part of the question is like, how much of this is, yes, it's definitely predatory, but how much of it is really like shystiness and shadiness and how much of it is just either you didn't know better, you didn't, you weren't advised better, or in some cases, there were people who didn't listen to their attorneys. So I'm not saying any of that to say that Puff is in any way right in the business dealings that he made and handled. But I'm just saying without actually seeing the contract and seeing the paperwork and knowing what the deal points were and knowing who was in the room and knowing who got what advice, it's it's hard to make it super, super black and white. The other thing is that like people are like, well, Puff should fix it now and he should sell Mace back his publishing and he should, you know, give the hitmen back whatever money he owes them and blah, 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 blah. I don't think, I doubt Puff even still owns full control of that publishing because people borrow against their publishing. It's it's an asset. You you take cash out against it if you need if you need to be liquid. I fully doubt that Puff 100% still owns Mace's publishing in order to be able to even sell it back to him. All right, so let's pay some bills. I'm going to pass it on to 
Rob Lopez. Thanks, Trey. Appreciate it, man. Um, hate to cut in, but I got to let y'all know talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. I'm just here. I got to do this. You know, we got to cut in and let everybody know what's going on. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it or, you know, Hey, I'm sleepy as hell. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. We all know that two-day shipping is beautiful. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Get started. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BOM, B-O-M, and complete an online visit. That's GetRoman.com slash B-O-M. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online, complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BOM to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash B-O-M for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash B-O-M. And we're black. You heard, you know, Naima chime in a little bit about the Mason and uh, Puffy situation. She uh, wrote an article for Billboard. Um, are bad are uh, bad record deals unethical or just part of the game? Um, one thing that stood out to me, Naima, about this is is industry people are are uh, are industry people shady. Um, some. Um, I think that. Even more so the industry people being shady, I think that industry people use leverage. Um, the, in, the music industry, the entertainment industry, any kind of business deal, the entertainment business is a business. That's first and foremost. And in any kind of business deal, people with more leverage and more power obviously are going to maneuver things so that they are at the advantage. And in the case of record deals and movie contracts and deals, especially with new artists and new entertainers, what this means is that when you haven't yet proven yourself, the argument you're going to get is, well, we're taking all the risk and we're fronting all the costs, so we should reap the majority of the rewards. And this is what happens with new artists when they get caught into deals that they don't realize are going to lock them in to you know, unfair percentages and rates and points, et cetera, for an extended amount of time. And in best case scenarios, you know, you go out there, you kill it with your first album, you're you're a star, you're a hit, you've proven you're a moneymaker and you can renegotiate. Sometimes that's not the case and you end up stuck in an unfavorable deal, like indefinitely, because a lot of deal terms are usually three or four albums. You might do two albums and then you just be out there if your label doesn't drop you, if they decide to hold on to you. Um, so, Khalees also, and I mentioned this in the piece, um, right before, a week before Mace had his rant or days before Mace had his rant, Khalees, um, an interview with Khalees with The Guardian was published where Khalees said that, she said two things. She said that Pharrell and Chad, um, well, she said Pharrell stole her publishing. That was one thing. But she also said that she didn't make any money off of her first two albums and that she was told that everything, quote unquote, everything will be split 33, 33, 33. I don't know what everything means. I don't know if everything means royalties. I don't know if everything means um, back-end profits. I don't know if everything means publishing. Like, she didn't really clarify what that means. But even with that, it's kind of questionable because everybody was like, oh, they lied to her. They did this, they did that. It's very, it's very possible. Nobody broke down and explained to Khalees what her deal looked like. But what I know is that Khalees only co-wrote three songs on her first album. Her second album, which she co-wrote more on, didn't even come out until 2009 because she in the U.S. because she had a dispute with the label. So there wasn't going to be a whole lot of sales and promo around that anyway. Um, and, you know, Pharrell and Chad were executive producers. They were regular producers. They were co-writers on every track. There's no way that they weren't going to come out with the majority of the money off this album. Now, maybe she didn't understand that. Maybe they didn't explain that to her. Maybe it wasn't really broken down. She mentioned that she was too young and stupid to double check the contract that she signed. But that's kind of the, the I guess, convoluted part of this, right? Is that 
how much of it is on people are like, oh, you shouldn't give bad deals, but it's a business. So we talked about Motown the last time I was on the show, I think. And I was saying how Barry would sign people to Motown, sign people to his management company and sign people to his publishing company. And these things aren't illegal. They're just a huge conflict of interest because if the same person that you're signed to for your label is managing you, who's going to negotiate a better rate with your label? If the same person who's who you're assigned to with your publishing deal is your label, then who's going to try to get you better rates for your song publishing that your label is using? You know, it's a, it's a huge conflict of interest in it, and it freezes you in unfavorable conditions some of the time because all of the interests are held by the same person. And I think that people don't realize that in the beginning. And that's one of the things, going back to Puff, that he did. He managed the hitmen who were also producing his songs on his album, um, he had his own publishing company that he would sign his artists to, you know, and then also he's getting credited as a writer, as a producer, as an engineer, as a mixer, as an executive producer, um, you know, and all these other things on every album. That's a lot of different ways to get paid off of one off of one piece of property before the artist sees any money. And I think that what happens is that these artists go into these deals or did and either just don't understand because contracts can be confusing or the lawyer doesn't take time to really make them understand how this works, like how you make your money. They just want to know what the advance is. And then it's not until later on where they're like, wait, I sold all these albums. I did all these tours. I don't have any more money. Then all of a sudden they want to learn how the business works. So I think that the digital age has leveled the playing field a little bit because people know more about how the business works. They don't have to go through conventional means in order to get their music out in order to make money, et cetera. But once you really sit down at the table, you have to make sure like, A, you have the best representation. B, you really understand what you're signing. Like you really understand it and see that you go in there knowing what you're worth. And sometimes it means holding out for a better deal. Sometimes it means walking away from a deal. And that's something that people aren't usually willing to do. Um, sometimes it means just like not going with the company you really wanted to go with because you have to really think long-term. Is those deals still happening or, you know, or you think people are so desperate to sign to a record label? Like you said, it's the digital age. So you can kind of build a lot of stuff or do a lot of stuff independent. Um, but I know it's still a goal for a lot of artists to be signed. Some some artists still if you want a radio budget, you still need a, a label contrary to popular belief. Um, you can do a lot of things yourself as an artist. You can't really get major airplay. Um, if you need a lot of artist development and you want a checkbook, you still need a label. You can't, you can do a lot of things independently. You can't do everything independently. I, I will say this, a label will always, your first pass at a deal is always going to be more favorable to the label than it is to you. Your first pass at a deal is also meant to be like deals are meant to be negotiated. They are meant to take time. And sometimes that means that you're fighting over what seem like minuscule details, but you have to have the foresight to know this might be a problem later. I need to make sure I'm good on this later. And you have to make sure that promises that are being made, and I think this is where a lot of people fuck up, people will say, oh, the contract says this, but don't worry about it. Like, we'll work, we'll work that out when we get to it. But no, you need to make sure that whatever your verbal conversations are, the contract also says it. So- before we got on air, we were talking about Kesha and Dr. Luke. Kesha is still in a legal battle with Dr. Luke. She's been fighting it for years, and it's twofold. The first part is that she's accused him of sexual assault, emotional abuse, and trauma. Um, and she wanted, and in the the what she's seeking in that is to get out of her contract with him. She signed to him through Kimasabi Records. Kimasabi Records has a deal with Sony, but I think he's no longer. I think Sony has severed their partnership with him recently or something because of the negative publicity. Um, part of her contract, though, said that Luke had to produce a minimum number of records on her album. So it was almost impossible for her to record without working with him directly based on her contract terms. I'm sure when she signed that contract, it didn't seem like it was going to be a problem. While she was in court with him, she filed an injunction asking that she could record with another label outside of Kimosabi while they were, you know, in court because she had other possible deals on the table, and the judges kept striking that down that um that that request, saying that since getting out of her deal was part of the entire lawsuit, they couldn't jump the gun and let her out of her deal. 
So she finally has released an album now in 2020. I think it's on Sony without Kimasabi. I'm not 100% sure. I think she just released it like a couple of weeks ago. But for her, as an artist, like you're, you're fucked, right? Like you can't make money. You can't put out any art. She'd been working on music. She couldn't really do anything with it. Luke did finally sign a waiver that he did not have to produce X number of songs on the track. So she did release one album in there while all of this was going on. But in the meantime, like you're stuck in this deal. That's not only just a bad deal for you. Like it's just a bad situation for you emotionally, um, you know, in terms of your health, in terms of your well-being, possibly in terms of your safety. But you're not thinking that this could possibly happen when you sign this piece of paper. So I, so, predi- so I say that to say, yes, predatory deals do still happen, but it really has to be incumbent upon you when you sit down at the table to be clear on what you want, to be clear what your minimum is, and to be clear about like the the pic, the long picture down the road. So I'll use like a kind of random example, even though this isn't about a label. Jason Weaver tells the story about how when he did the voice of Simba for the original Lion King, Disney either offered him a certain amount of money up front or a certain amount of points on the back. And his mom took the points, which has netted them a shit ton more money over time, right? Because Lion King was huge. A lot of people would have been like, give me the money in the front, you know, and lost out. Sometimes you really just got to think long term, but also a lot of new artists, like they want to take care of their families. Like they're desperate to get in a better situation. so they don't, they can't necessarily afford to wait and see what the album is going to do, what's going to happen. Same with Missy and Tim, when they signed their publishing deal, they didn't get huge advances at Warner Chapel, but they own more of their publishing on the back end, which again, has netted them far more money in the long run. But a lot of people, they want their money up front. Man, that's crazy. In reference to Mace, right? Like you had said, mm-hmm. um, like I, my, my question for Mace would be, what would Puff's, would it be the liquidation aspect that you were talking about in reference to Mace? Because I'm not even trying to take a shot at Mace, but how much would Mace Publishing really be worth to Puff right now if he still owned it all, right? Like, would the reason he would not sell it back to Mace or give it back to Mace, whatever the terminology be, most likely be that he he borrowed money towards it or off of it or whatever you were saying? That's my thought, but Mace claims that Puff said... Mace claims that Puff said that Mace had to come with as much money as the white man is willing to give him for the publishing. I'm not sure what that means. Um, or that the European man is willing to give him for the publishing. For all I know, that could be whatever he got from, I don't know, Warner, Sony, whomever that he might have sold some of the percentage to. So, again, I don't know 100% that Mace no longer owns the controlling interest of Mace's publishing, but my guess is that he doesn't, just based on... Because most of Puff's money right now is from Ciroc. Um, is not from his music or anything like that. So my that's my guess. My guess is that Puff doesn't own a lot of any of the publishing that he once had a controlling interest in again, just a guess. But, um, I'm, I really can't estimate what Mesa's publishing would be worth only because even though the albums that Mesa was part of sold so many records, they were also so heavily sampled. So like, for example, with, um, I'll be missing you. Sting owns a hundred percent of publishing for I'll be missing you. You know what I mean? So it's like, all those samples and all, even though Mace isn't on, I'm just using it as a bad boy example. So all those samples right. on the bad boy albums, all the different hit men that touched the record, um, you know, there's, there's so many different people involved that even though they made a ton of money, there's a ton of people to pay. So I'm not going to try to guess what Mace's publishing is worth now. But again, I think for him at this point, it's also a manner of integrity. Like you get to a certain age and you realize like, this is your intellectual property. These are literally your words and you just want ownership of your words. You know what I mean? Like you want to own the thing you created. And this isn't even a master's conversation. That's a whole nother thing. This is just about your publishing. Like you literally just want to own the control. You want to be able to say, yes, this person can use this thing that I wrote. No, they can't, you know, and yes, I should get paid for this thing that I wrote. Man, that's crazy. Glad I'm not a rapper. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sometimes it works out, but like I'm just looking at like certain deals where they're like, "Here's three hundred thousand, but we're gonna take twenty five percent," and they're like, "Fuck it, <laughs> I'll take right. it." And then come back right. and be like, "Yo, I'm broke." You're like, damn, what happened? Exactly. Or I need another advance or whatever. I'll I'll also give another like interesting tidbit. So, Sir makes a lot, makes a shit ton of money off Baby Got Back. I can't remember how much, but it's made him like he's he don't have to do anything ever if he doesn't want to because of the money he makes off Baby Got Back. 
he was going to, he was going to sell his publishing. He was going to sell his interest in Baby Got Back. He had a meeting set up. His meeting was for September 11th. And because that meeting didn't happen, he decided to keep his publishing and it has literally set him up for life. Man, that's crazy. That's baller though. Some people are yeah. smart about that stuff. You know what I mean? Like they're just business business savvy and think about the long game. But it's just a lot of people that just, you know, don't have this have it there and they're they're really for the, the you know, what's there for now and kinda like, ah, you know, I don't know if it's really one of those sticky like I told you I was gonna make it ordeals or uh anything like that but i'm just like oh like you know i always feel bad because like i'd be rooting for guys you know what i mean like but also like the longevity in like especially like hip-hop i think we're the well i say we're the only genre that kind of the fans make and break the artists where it's like ah, oh, they washed up and we don't want to hear them no more you know what i mean like we pray on their downfall it's kind of similar to sports and it's it's so wild to me because like I feel like guys should still be able to make it, you know, make ends meet off however long, you know, whatever hits they had. And I think that's still kind of happening now. But for a while, we were we were just over people like outside of the shit that Ja Rule pulled on that uh, Firefest shit. I would love for him to get his roses for the shit he did like early 2000s. But I don't know. You know what I mean? Like to have that kind of reminder of certain certain feelings or music as, yeah as it was back then for like r&b artists like you know what i mean like if baby babyface wanted to get back out there he could can jagged edge could genuine like you know what i mean because i seen john b for like five dollars and i was just like shit this is rough like cool relax was my shit but like also like now i can pull up on him for five bucks this is crazy Wait, for five dollars? For five dollars in Phoenix. But maybe I don't yeah. know if they adjusted it to cost of living or whatever. But five cash is drinks more than cost more than his uh admission price. That's wild. You know, do y'all remember when um what the hell was the name of that show? Making the band? When yeah. homegirl when homegirl didn't want to sign the contract, her husband was like, nah, don't sign the contract. Oh yeah. And they all were kind of pressing her to do it. In all actuality, she was probably most, I mean, their their careers never panned out or whatever. But at that point in time, I remember watching and saying, oh, she's crazy. Because in my mind, you know, however old I was at that time, I'm thinking, oh, you got to take the money. Right. But I mean, it makes sense for someone in her position. I, I, I really do forget her name, but it makes sense for someone in her position to be like, well, nah, like I don't want to sign the first deal. Like, let, let's let's negotiate. But. Like you were saying, I mean, a lot of these cats are in positions where they either are not educated to on, on contracts. Because I mean, hell, I, I mean, I'm 39, and I don't even think I'm educated enough if I was in their position right now to sign a contract. I mean, I would definitely have to hire somebody. But they're either not educated or they're so pressed for paper that, like you said, Trey, like they're just trying to get their family out the hood. So if somebody coming coming with 500 large. They're not even caring about the fact that, well, you know what I mean? You might not want to take this final large. You might want to take the points like you said Jason Weaver did. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a, it's a tough situation to be in, right? It's kind of like, you know, it's like credit cards and interest rates. Like, if you're really pressed to have or a loan, you know, if you're, it technically is like a loan. Like, if you're really pressed to have cash on hand, in your mind, you're like, well, I'll deal with the penalties later. Or you might think, like, oh, it'll be all good. I can make more money later. You just don't really realize, like, it's a gamble, right? Because on the label side, they're taking a gamble too. They could give you a huge advance and you're not selling any records. And then they're in the red, you know? Or they could give you a shit advance and you actually end up selling a whole bunch of records and they have to pay you more on the back end. So either way, like I said, the, the thing is that the business is a business. And this is also why it's important. Like a lot of people try to come into the game with homeboy entertainment. That shit does not always work. Sometimes, yeah, your people can be business savvy or they can learn, you know, like Eve did with Cole, like your team can learn under some other folks until they can take over. But everybody actually needs to know this game because you will fuck around and sign some bad shit. You might sign something bad with them. Like people also get locked into really terrible management contracts where their manager is taking all kinds of money off the top that they don't know about. Right. So you really have to. Be okay with a sometimes letting your friends go or putting them in other positions until you feel like they're ready to actually be decision makers for you. 
You have to decide that you're going to learn some of this stuff for yourself and really understand what you're signing, what you're agreeing to, what things mean in certain situations. And you also have to know what your end goal is. If you just want to come in and get a lick real quick and you don't see yourself as a career artist or entertainer, then fine, get everything you can up front and keep it moving. But if this is something that you really want to eat off of later, the people who can live off of their music careers forever, how many people do we know who had hits in the 90s who are living random normal lives now because they didn't write, because they didn't tour, because they didn't have merchandising and because they don't have publishing? Like you can only really live off of your music career if you're always on the road or if you wrote or if you produced, et cetera. Like you're not going to have two or three hits and stop and be good forever. That's just not going to happen. That'll last you a couple years. I know it's basketball, but I mean, that's why the LeBron shit is dope to me. Cause I mean, he basically just did what you said. You know I mean? He could have yeah, trained just, under an agent. Yeah. He trained all his people. He had all his people trained so that when he got to the point in his career where he could start making these moves, you know what I mean? Everybody was in a position where everybody was eating and everybody learned so that it was people that he trusted making, making these moves. Damn, that's crazy. All right. Let's pay some more bills. We're going to send it to Rob Lopez. Thanks, Trey. Appreciate it. Look around you. Look around. Look around you. Look at this. It's a wireless world. We all got things that don't need plugs anymore, and everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, buying some shoddy products on the internet, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and that they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands you know. And Raycon's latest model, E25, is their best one yet. With six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for on-the-go listening and for taking phone calls. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. You've heard me talk about how the company was co-founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, Brandy, and J.R. Smith are all obsessed with Raycons. Pick up a pair and see what the hype is all about. Now is the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash B-O-M-M. That's buyraycon.com slash B-O-M-M for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash B-O-M-M. And we're black. Thank you, Rob. Uh, now we're going to move on to Curb Your Enthusiasm, my favorite show. Uh, it makes Sundays better now that football's gone. Jerv, what was your thoughts on the episode? So, you know, I said in the chat at first I didn't uh, – I, I felt like I didn't really laugh at the episode at first. But I also was was dumb tired when I watched it. It was just a lot going on for me uh, on Sunday, and I just forced myself to watch it that day. But um, – I had a little beef with the episode and it's mainly because of the last week's episode. Leon, who I love to death was back to being tough as Leon. You know what I mean? We're on negotiating on the phone uh, with whatever it was, the people that were supposed to come out for the, uh, the coffee shop. But it made me mad about last week too. Cause it's like, y'all made Leon look like a punk last weekend getting thrown in a trash can. And this week he was back to uh classic Leon and a hairline was, was, was quite impressive too, by the way. But uh, the, the YOLO, the yo-yo stuff or whatever, that shit was funny to me. Um, as a person who has gone up and down with, uh, with weight and shit, I thought that was fucking hilarious how Larry was just monitoring every single thing that she ate. And by the way, homegirl was definitely ODing on the snacks. Like, she, she, was, she was beyond ODing on the M&Ms. Like, yo, just because you're on the private jet and they offering all this shit, Larry hit it on the head. Like, you, you don't have to eat it all. I, so I think it was, to me, this episode was, when I watched it again, I thought it was uh, not classic curb because I, I take that phrase as, as meaning something more than just what it normally brings to the table because classic curb to me is just, you know, Larry at his, at his finest. But I, I think this episode was, was, was a solid episode. Um, it, it reminded me of curb. You know, it gave me the banter that I was looking for. You know what I mean? And I was I was happy, and I I, I want to say this in the right way because I'm not trying to catch any smoke on it. But um, I was cool we didn't have any of the Me Too movement in this one, mainly because I felt like we just got so much Me Too in the first uh, four, three or four episodes. I was cool with the fact that we didn't get much uh, Me Too in this episode, 
And I was I was quite pleased with uh, Larry and uh, what is what the hell is her name? Uh, what's Jeff's wife's name? I always forget her name. Susie. Yeah, I, fuck, I, I you know I, I'm a big fan of their banter, so that was dope. But last thing I have is yo, don't be inviting married couple uh, divorced couples on, on on trips. Like you got you you Larry's right. You got to choose a fucking side, yo. I feel like you, that's kind of a white people thing, anyway. <laughs> nah, 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 yo. Because if black, no, black, so. black, black people, people do that do shit. Because uh, well, maybe I ain't never been married or I ain't or been baby, in a situation. Or baby parents who have been split, even yeah. if it's not divorced. Because 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 you know how we roll, bro. Like my squad becomes, you know, my squad. Trade if 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 I got if if I'm in if my situation, then you you got a similar situation because you my man. I naturally roll with you, so I put my my wife in a situ- in, in situations where then she's around your significant other, your wife, your girlfriend, whatever, consistently to the point where they then become cool. So if if I in my situation or you in your situation, that I mean it, it it does happen. Like people are put in those situations, but don't don't invite uh, divorcees on, on on trips unless you've checked in with both both sides of the party. If not, if one side is not cool, I'm sorry, you got to pick sides, and your sides you have to go with the person you knew first. All right, Naima, what do you think about it? Um, so I'm not as much of a curb loyalist as you guys are. So I just always find. The situations that Larry gets himself into extremely hilarious. Um, he and because he and Seinfeld and um, Shanling are like the the inappropriate Jewish man triumphant. Like they just everything's terrible. But in this case, with the with the married couple, divorced couple argument. I mean, to to um, homeboy's point, who was getting married, nobody really likes Larry. The thought was that Larry wouldn't come. So the fact that Larry went out of his way to find a date, you know, rent the plane, do all this other stuff to be there when really nobody cared if he was there or not, to me, actually was hilarious in and of itself. Um, but also, him and his ex are always together. They seem to be cordial. They're on the plane together. So I can also see why maybe it's a little confusing. Um, I did feel like Larry got a bum rap on this one because Ted started the fight and Larry got blamed for it. So that I actually sympathize with Gary for. I mean, with Gary, I'm sorry, with Larry, with Larry for. Uh, but I feel like Larry always gets the bum rap, though. No, he be starting up shit a lot. He be starting up shit a lot. Like, maybe, it's me, cause I, I, maybe it's me because I, I understand Larry a lot of times. And I feel like Larry just gets his uh, his perspective or his thought process. I think I think that shit a lot of times, but because it's Larry and like you just said, not even nobody really fucks with Larry anyway. I think it just always comes. It's always easy for the people on the show to be like, "Yo, it's Larry's fault." But yeah, right. Like, shout out, that Ted was a hundred percent in the wrong. Yo, my man, you just found out that your uh, your girl just banged her uh, her ex husband, who you had no business dealing with her anyway because that's supposed to be your man. You just got to take that on the chin and, and approach him later about that. Like, that that was sucking right. stuff. That was sucking like, stuff and messing up the wedding. Ted literally started it as the bride is coming down the aisle and everybody's like, Gary, what the... F-? I mean, Larry, what the fuck? I shouldn't have brought up Gary Shandling because now I keep saying Gary. Larry, what the fuck? And it's like, I was like, but that's on Ted. That's totally on... Like, Ted started that whole thing and nobody said, Ted, stop. Like, it was all on Ted. But they all blame Larry. So, yeah, he can't win for losing. All right. So my take, I love when they go into the fuck you part. Fuck you, Ted Danson. Fuck you, Vanilla Joe. Amazing. Because that's something I would probably say. Larry is the most stubborn person alive. Alive. But it's so consistent. You got to love it. I thought the ending was kind of predictable. As far as, you know, Larry being Larry, he was going to make that choice and stay behind. Um, and then also that the beans, he was going to end up with those beans. The yo-yo comment was hilarious. I didn't think that was a thing. I don't think I would ever say that out loud. Um, but it's, it's it, it was funny as hell. You mean the yoing up and uh, keep going back to the yo-yo, just the yo-yo phrase? Yeah. The, well, yeah, that and but also like, you know, what I mean, just describing what 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 it was like, you know, what I mean, like, oh, yeah, right. up and down the weight. And I was just like, oh, that's wild. You know what I'm saying? Like, and he was like, dang, she's just like, you never heard the phrase yo yo dieting? Nah, nah. Oh, no, that's a thing. It's oh. a thing. Okay. Yeah, that's literally what it means going up and down. But I had never heard it to say, um, yoing up. 
like yoing up or yoing down. The yo-yo just means usually up and down, but I'd never heard people talk about yoing up versus yoing down. Yeah, that was sick. And then also Leon, when he got his, you know, his little minutes of fame, when he was like, he went full black on this one and said, this is my kind of place, Playa Mariposa, because I'm a player. <laughs> How you gonna get a? How'd you get a room like this? Larry asked him. He was like, "I told him I was handicapped." Like the fact that he used that, it was just like the most black shit. And like the way he be educating, like Larry, on like, like this how this how basically this how some niggas would get it done if if we in your position. The same way how he expedited, you know, you know what I mean, hopping on the phone and, and talking to him like a like a real nigga. Like, hey, quit playing with me and get down here and handle this business. Um. I thought Susie, this was Susie's star episode. You know what I mean? Like she, she was hilarious. She did her thing, you know, from her landing Donna the dress after she found out about Donna Myers was a part of the tribe. Um, also, uh, Susie would rather drown, drown in a sea of Cortez than give her, uh, give Larry her weight. I thought it was funny too. Like people, is that really a thing? People kind of being like private about their weight. I mean, I know, I don't know. I, I would I couldn't tell you off bat because it just fluctuates, but like Jerv, if someone, if we, if I had a PJ and we needed a weight, would you tell me? Yeah. Why, why the fuck not? <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 try, I'm trying to it, live, right? Yeah. And I thought it was kind of crazy, but like also hilarious, but like, you know, obviously there's some people for one, I never asked a woman their weight, but like for his boy to be like, nah. And then also like Leon, like, nah, it was kind of crazy. You know what I'm saying? Cause he was like, yeah, I, I associate that with profiling. Like you asked me for my height and my weight. Like, you trying to find me basically. Yeah. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't rock with Ted. I, I, I groan when I see him on the screen. He He's become an unlikable character in real life for me. So if I seen him, I'm, I'm riding with Larry. <laughs> that's, that's how, that's what type of character he is in the show for me. Um, and then also seeing the, uh, you know, the uh, cleaning wipe, you know what I mean? Like that being a tip and they like kind of eye and it was like, I knew it. I knew it was you. And then like him, you know, Larry thinking uh, Leon possibly misplaced it or, you know what I mean? Like he took it and, and Ted having it. Um, the toothbrush was also kind of crazy because like do married couples share toothbrushes all the time? I was going to say that's kind of up there with kissing no. dogs in the mouth with me. Like the only time I've I, ever heard I, a conversation on TV or movies about sharing a toothbrush has been some white people. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't understand I, that. I'm not, I, yo, I'm tell you right now, you know, I'm not sharing no drawers, and I'm not sharing no toothbrush. That's uh, I, like I, that to me that that was classic curb right there, and the the what, what's what, the handkerchief whatever the the wipe or whatever that was classic curb also. You know what I mean? Because that was something they referenced. It happened a couple episodes ago, and they just kept. I think they dropped the gem on it what, in the beginning of the episode or something like that, and then it just randomly popped up at the end. So that was dope. But yeah, bro, no, I'm not sharing no toothbrush. And I, I, yo, like, dude, now that's my question: Do people pet a spare toothbrush? Nah, that's wild. You either don't have one or you got one. That's it. But when you're at a resort like that, you call the fucking front desk. They have two brushes. I was. Nah, young. I remember. Mary Larry said they didn't have it. He he asked. He tried yeah. to buy it from them. Uh, they didn't have it. Yeah, which was, is also weird. Like if I'm, how am I at this fly ass resort and I can't get a fucking toothbrush? Yeah, that's that's crazy. I I mean, what do we rate this out of out of a five? I go like a three and a half. I like I like the three maybe and a half. four. I I, I'm yeah. okay with that. Like, I didn't think this was like the best. I'm glad they went away from the Me Too, um, and it had some it had some laughable moments, so I could rock with it. So I can't complain. I'm pretty sure the other guys would, you know, say they're out on it or it wasn't their favorite. But I'm pretty sure they're going to continue to bring it. I'm interested to see uh, what Larry does now with these beans. Oh, he's going. He's going. He's coming. From, he's coming for. Uh, what do you call him? Vanilla Joe. Yeah. He's coming from Vanilla Joe's head. He got the beans. Support for Bomb is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. Listen up, Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and you don't want to be that guy with the bush or that nerd who cut his balls prior to getting it on. Whether you have a Valentine or not, you need to be prepared to look good down there. 
That's why Manscaped redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released a new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a rapid charging dock powered by USB. Get yourself the best gift of all this Valentine's Day, the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. It's a gift for both you and for her. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BOMB, B-O-M, at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BOMB. B-O-M at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BOM. B-O-M. Stay sexy this Valentine's Day and Manscaped. All right. This has been a great episode. Thank you, Jerv. Thank you, Naima. Thank you, Rob, for the ones and twos. Uh, be sure to check out uh, Naima's uh, article on Billboard. I posted it. We'll share it more um, through our BOM podcast account. For everyone tuning in, please, please, please watch Who Killed Malcolm X. Also, Power Finale. Uh, We will be back with Full Squad giving their opinion on the uh, show. And um, enjoy All-Star Weekend. Jerv, you got something for us? Was that a question mark? Was that a question mark after All-Star Weekend? Yeah, I have a question mark because I'm I'm concerned about these, these dedications, you know. The 24 okay. points and the new three-point contest and the big man in the dunk contest. Yeah, it's a lot going on. But, uh, you know, this is not a sports show. You know, y'all be safe out there in uh, Chicago. Make sure y'all do your research before y'all go out there. But, uh, uh, I mean, for me, bro, I'm just, I'm just excited for New York. And I'm just hoping everybody pull up. And uh, show some love, like 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 I know I like I like y'all to show love. So that's man, Naima, you got anything? Will you be at the live show? Do you know yet? Yes, I'm gonna be there. Oh, it is confirmed I'm, live that Naima I will the last be. One, I'm not gonna miss this one. I will absolutely be there. Naima will be there at the Bell House in Brooklyn, March 28th. I'll be there as well. And that means I really care about y'all because I don't go to Brooklyn for anything in the whole entire world. Wow. Y'all heard it first. This is going to be our first time meeting Naima. I'm going to have to, you know, bring my best. Everybody's got to bring their best. <laughs> it's on. It's lit. Whatever the young kids say, I'm going to have to bring the drip. Everything. So uh, be sure to check out that link. Buy your tickets before they get sold out. That's been Black Opinions Matter, motherfucker.